Nuclear. Now is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. I'm really curious to see what exactly we're talking about today. Kathy and Ross, you gave me a little hint of what we're talking about, and it's a certain letter of the alphabet. And I have an idea of where we might go, but you didn't really tell me much more than that. And so I'm really curious to find out exactly what this is all about. Although I'm thinking, first of all, you might have a little quiz for me. We might. and bef But before we get to the quiz, I will say in your talking just a few seconds ago, in your speech, you actually did a subset of what we're talking about with the with the word that we're going to be talking about very soon. <laughs> now, that's that not getting right at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, every, everybody rewind, go back and listen to what I said about 20 times <laughs> and see if you can guess what it is that we're going to be talking about because I have no idea what I said. I've already forgotten myself, which is very sad. <laughs> and I know the topic. <laughs> But okay, we're going to start, however, we are going to rewind. Um, it was apropos of last time's origins of popular sayings. We're going to push the envelope, wink, wink, uh -huh. by asking you, what is the origin of push the envelope? Fletcher, you're on the hot seat. Do I get a multiple choice this time or do I just have to come up with it? You just have to come up with it. Yeah, you know, I've heard this before and I'm trying to remember uh, there's there's a lot of junk back there in my brain, and so I'm trying to dig around and see if I can come up with. I, I can do, I give you a hint? I I, I can. Um, you can give me a hint. Yeah. Well, may I? <laughs> I should say not. Yeah. I? I can. Yes. And, but may I? <laughs> Please do. <Okay. laughs> yeah. One hint. We chose this partly because you're a film buff, and mm -hmm. um, the popularization and in fact how it came into the mainstream comes basically from a film and a previous book by a famous author now the film had a star that i think is going to give it away should i give that part away or not no Russ, you're 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 really giving it to him on a platter for heaven's sake does fletcher have an idea now or not well no i mean basically all you've told me is that there's a movie uh, <laughs> so okay i liked the movie it was a bomb but the, i liked the book i liked the book i liked the movie too but it Sam Shepard was in the movie. But it was a bomb, this movie. Apparently um, so, because I really got mad because I really thought it was a great film. Well, the book was a bestseller. Yeah, it was. Uh, apparently it was, a, but apparently the film did not do as well as the uh, book. But that's neither here nor there. No, okay. This We're is, talking words. Th this this part isn't connecting with me at all, although probably once you tell me the movie. I mean, the only, the only movie that's just coming instantly to my mind that has Sam Shepard in it that I love is Days of Heaven, and that's not exactly connecting Ooh, with me. Ooh, that was a good movie. Um, okay. How about <laughs> let's blast off here? Oh, okay, so the, so the right stuff. Um, pushing the envelope, though, I uh, you know it's got something to do with space. Uh, this that that doesn't make any sense either. What I'm imagining when you say push the envelope is somebody has put some money into an envelope and they're pushing it across the table <laughs> towards someone else. Like, also you, called you bribery. Laugh, but but we're all laughing, but that's exactly what I thought too. This was a real shock to me when I found out the origin. 
Kath, you want to tell us all now? <laughs> Shall I? It, it, it started out in the field of mathematics. Um, it, okay, in the right stuff, they kept talking about pushing the outside of the envelope. Yes. But the term comes from math, and it's talking about, which I would not know because I'm not a math person, the mathematical envelope, which is, quote, the locus of the ultimate intersections of consecutive curves. That means nothing to me. No, it means nothing to me at all. I am disappointed in myself that I didn't remember that um, from the right stuff. But the thing that the thing that I did remember somewhere in my head was that phrase, push the outside of the envelope, because that's the original Mm -hmm. phrase. Right. Precisely. Okay. The basic idea, though, is really you basically have I mean, in effect, you have a, a space or an envelope where your plane or rocket can operate. Various factors, it's safe to fly here with this speed, with this engine power. In effect, there's like a mathematical boundary of where, of how fast or how maneuverable you, you know, you can be. Mm-hmm. And pushing the envelope is basically going beyond those boundaries. Right. Yeah, you're testing the limits. The thing that got me though is the whole concept of the flight envelope. I just I want to start using the term flight envelope because it sounds very cool for some reason. <laughs> it does. It was used um, in World War II, which I, I always I would have thought it sounds so modern, but it, it was started in World War II. Um, you talking about the flight envelope, but uh, it, it yeah it got much. Apparently, it really pushing the envelope was bigger with test pilots, and then in the seventies was when you started seeing it in print. And, and then you had uh, Wolf pick it up for his book, and there it entered, like, you know, regular line. I think it's more of a business term, though, isn't it? Don't you usually use pushing the envelope more business, like, jargonish? Yeah, they're really pushing the envelope on that last uh, campaign or something. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I hear it in conversation, I think. To me, the weirdest thing was I actually thought what Fletcher did. I thought of, I, I still visualize an envelope, and I picture a bank teller pushing an envelope <laughs> to me. I have no idea why that goes with the the actual meaning of the phrase but that's what i think i thought it is tearing an envelope more pushing it open which is closer to it but i did not yeah i did not think of it as the mathematical envelope at all which i never knew existed and i will promptly forget about now so that's fine okay moving on fletcher now you did not we're not quite there yet with what you had, had said earlier that gives us the uh, letter in question, but we're going to start with another letter in question. We got an email from Lindsay in Boston asking, is it wrong to pronounce the T in often? Uh Or is it just a regional thing and it's okay? And we're going to ask you the question. Let's see your, you answer Lindsay and then we'll discuss it. (laughs) Um, I I mean, wrong, you know, I, I, I guess probably not wrong. I think it is, supposed in quotation marks supposed to be pronounced without the t and i think putting the t in there is one of those things like um changing neither to neither that people did a long time ago when they were wanting to seem more literate or seem like they were literate but it was actually a a bit of overcorrection and and they were saying Mm -hmm. saying it in a way that it wasn't supposed to be said but i mean people say often all the time i don't think it's exactly quote-unquote wrong at this point you summed it up perfectly actually both are technically correct uh both often and often you're right it's not wrong um it's become now uh non some say it's non-standard um, and it did begin, Merriam-Webster actually said in the past that often with a T was more common in, quote, educated speech, 
which is interesting because as you said, it's sort of an overconnection. Connection? Overcorrection. I overconnected. Corrected. But it's also interesting because it basically it's called a spelling pronunciation. It, it, the word derives back from another word, oft. And then the en was added in, uh, I think, Middle English or old, uh, late Middle English. Old English has oft, which is again and again. Interestingly enough, oft used to be also an adjective. So you had ofter and oftest as well. <laughs> I like oftest. I do too. But um, then it beca- the en added, and then there's a thing that happens in English is the t begins to soften. We have that with hasten. Not with listen, because listen comes from actually listening. Fast, fasten. Fasten, exactly. The T drops off. But this is where we get sort of confusing, because Kathy just mentioned... Kathy, maybe you could go... I keep getting confused, because at one point it was... Queen Elizabeth I did not pronounce the T the T in it. Right. So, <laughs> so she's like the ultimate like you know head of the country, and she didn't pronounce the T. So what's going on here? Maybe Kath could tell okay, us. Okay, they say that Queen Elizabeth... Did not pronounce the D. And we're talking about Elizabeth Uno <laughs> to make it Spanish. <laughs> like, very classy. So we're talking, Queen Elizabeth did not, but they have lists that were made in the 17th century that show that the pronunciation without the T was avoided. So she was not pronouncing the T, but most people seem to have, prior to that, pronounced the T. Hmm. Then, after... After this happened, the upper class, if you will, decided to go like if 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 Liz likes it, so do we. Yep. So then they started following the no T pronunciation, and that's where it got added. Um, the OED actually added a note which was fascinating and said off ten with a T was frequent. <laughs> <laughs> in England and used more often in singing, off 10 used in singing. So it, it, it kept on going back and forth, if you will. Um, and then more recently, they found that a, the T is not pronounced more often than not. I mean, 27%, I think it is, of British pronounce the T, and only 22% of Americans pronounce the T. Mm-hmm. So somehow along the line, even though the T was st- kept going in and out and in and out, it's pretty much out now. Which now leads us to the second part of our little discussion. What's going on with these T's? <laughs> now there's a technical <laughs> term in English called medial cluster reduction. And that's when, uh, isn't that wow, fun? That's, yeah, but what is happening is um, in English, and it's beginning to increase, T's are being dropped willy-nilly. And actually, one of the T's in the center is called T-glottalization. Mm-hmm. There's also what's called a post-nasal T-deletion. Instead of saying winter, <laughs> you go winner. And there's called what's called flapping, which I also love. So Flapping, I love. Pretty. You say pretty. with a, You tap your tongue up. But we're going to go to the other form, which is T-glottalization. <laughs> Kathy? <laughs> <laughs> That's when you drop the T's and we're like kitten. Like with T-glottalization, you kind of you, you, you kind of get rid of the vowel. You go just like, you just like lump it together. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also like, it's like, uh-oh. You're also, you're closing your glottis. Glottalization is you, you, you. You usually hear when the T is in the middle of a word. It's usually the most noticeable, like kitten. Right. You're closing your glottis slightly, and you're stopping the sound. Instead of letting your T touch the roof of your mouth, you're not pushing it out. Yeah. Almost every kid I've heard loves uh-oh. 
and that's my theory is glottal stops are increasing because they're sort of fun to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, I always, Alex did that. I was at, uh, I felt so sorry for the dad had taken his kid to um, Starbucks and the kid just had learned, uh-oh, so everything was <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. Over and over. So. But the weird thing with T glottalization is okay, you go kitten, kitten. You don't, there's no T, Vermont, important. It's, it, if you do it after a certain while, it's very pleasurable to do. You're right, Ross, with the uh oh, even in things like kitten, when you get into the, into the groove, if you will. Interestingly enough, Fletcher did it earlier with a, what's called the end glottalization or pre T glottalization. You had but. And I, I don't remember ah. what you said now. We have to play it back. But you had but, and then you had another word following but. I could easily say, yeah, I would say something like, but what we do, uh, rather than mm-hmm. saying but, I would say, uh. It's almost B-U-H, yeah. actually. Right. Yeah. And that was like, it's, it was not a, it's, interestingly enough, it's not a complete glottalization. There was a study done where they like had, I don't know, they had MRIs looking at people's glottises as they were speaking like that. And the, the, the uh kind of forms a little bit over the uh, U sound slightly. So it's not a complete pure glottalization, but a pre-T glottalization it's called or something like that. And I think that's really interesting because that's becoming very common in English now, in American English. Okay, you've got you've got two like segments of T glottalization. because so you have the British kinds that has been written about a lot. And now you've got it increasing in the American uh, English. And they're saying a lot of it is happening with younger people. And, and I'm wondering, and Ross, you and I are going to have to talk about this in a few minutes, because you've got the whole class thing in Britain with the glottalization, and Prince Harry is involved in this as well. We'll, we'll talk about that. But in the United States, it's definitely a youth thing with the, with the glottalization. You're right to a degree, but I looked at a couple of things that we were chatting about, and it is a youth thing. It also seems to be partly a regional thing. It seems more common on the West Coast than on the East Coast, yeah. except in the Northeast where Vermont and apparently they're glottalizing everything every other minute. So we don't really mm-hmm. know. And then in, they're saying young women tend to be the, the major uh, force in the West. But in Vermont, it appears, I think, I believe in Vermont, more men do T-glottalizations than women. So it's really, I mean, when they try to study it, it's all over the place. The two things I think I didn't really... see that at all that it's more men than women in Vermont. I just thought it was like a regionalism in Vermont. I was reading one study where they had like a hundred people, and apparently there were more men who were glottal. Men tended to have more glottalizations than women, which was the author didn't expect. In that. Vermont? Oh wow! I'm surprised. You don't really know. I mean, it's a really it's it's all over the place, and it's been really understudied because people thought, well, the Brits do it, we don't do it in America, and they're wrong. We do. It's pervasive. It's so much so that. This is it's it's entirely unintentional that, you know, whether we're talking about a difference in generation or whatever, and people aren't doing this consciously. Uh, It's absolutely just sort of moved into our speech. You mentioned kitten. You know, nobody's nobody I hear is going around saying kitten uh, on a daily Mm. basis. We have a town north of here uh, called Newton, N-E-W-T-O-N. And when I say Newton on the radio, people will email me and say, ha ha, you said the T because people say Newton. That that's mm-hmm. what it is. It's Newton. And, and people actually notice it when you, when you throw that letter back into there. Someone from Dayton, Ohio said the same thing. Dayton. We're just yeah. looking up something. Dayton, not Dayton anymore. Right. Dayton. I don't know. No, it's very interesting. It's really, I mean, but it is also, it's really interesting how it's fairly understudied to this time. So I would say like, 
go like plastics is the coming thing was the coming thing in the 60s film glottalization may be the coming thing right now in terms of linguistics i don't know <laughs> it doesn't have the same <laughs> quotability though <laughs> does. go glottal young man but yeah, at, no. at the, yeah right the funny thing though to me is, is i'm going to take us i'm sorry i'm going to steer us off track for a second and then we can come back and I'm thinking of how I speak, and I I am I am a sloppy speaker. With I say gonna, I never say going to. I say wanna, you know, coulda. I do. I'm, I'm totally. And and I guess what I'm saying is, as long as I have no problem with glottalization, I and, and I don't think. I mean, I know it was a class issue in 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 England, but I don't I don't see it as a as a negative necessarily. I don't I I know some people get up in arms and say it's sloppy, but I I speak like that. So I mean I don't say kitten, but I mean I do say gonna. So I I, I don't I you know it seems fine. You, it's like you whatever. You don't wait wait say say kitten. Kitten. Yeah you do. Yeah I don't say kitten. Right. <laughs> You're right. Actually on that I'd like to say two things first of all before we go into that. Um, Glottalization also set usually glottalization in America is not with the center like kitten people more tap mm-hmm. to go kitten or something. No, it's mm-hmm. it, it's it, it, really common. I I I think I, I think I disagree with that. I I think it's a different. I think so too. I'm reading this, but I say kitten too. You, you, I yeah, say kitten. You, you're you're like you, you're emphasizing it a little too much. Just say it like you normally would. It's kitten. That has no that mm-hmm. that is a glottalization. It, but it's not that it's not that really harsh stop like you might kitten. hear with with the the lower class british glottalization that you talk about it's, it's not it's kitten, not as pure right it's not kitten I, I think but go, it's kitten or bottle bottle is one of my I favorites think, i think we go back to the pre-vocalization where you're slightly touching the previous uh vowel but not completely yeah yeah so it's mm-hmm. not completely not a strong glottal but i think you're right yeah the other one that's interesting though is when there's two words that are much together compound words we, with a T, we do glottalize there pretty much too. Think of the American pastime besides baseball. Say that. Besides baseball, basketball, football, football. I thought football. Well, either either one. I mean, basketball is the same way, right? There's no basketball. T- though we say more of the T. No, I don't football, think so. Basketball, football, football, football. football. Uh, uh. Okay, basketball, basket, basketball. You're not saying the T. No, you're not basketball. Here's another one I'm sort of curious about with you all. Okay, we're going to put on the helmet say put, say it really quickly put. It, it's like a uh, put there is a stop with the tip of my tongue though when i say that put put put, put on, on the helmet put a put, put on. on kathy says it well put on put on you gotta i mean you, you have the you have the it sort of turns into a d there a little bit that's flap well that's what, that's called flap yeah see the, yeah. i flap i flap more than glottalize <laughs> and you can tell anyone that i feel like i'm doing a tinder ad you know <laughs> But I do. I definitely flap more. I'm a flapper. I do. I change them to D's more than I than yeah, I do that. Uh, yeah. Put on you. You tick the tip of your tongue against the palate. Yeah. You said the glottalization is really understudied, or at least the the T's um, being glottalized. Do we have any idea of specifically when we do it? Under under. Uh, of course, it's it's usually T's in the middle of the words or the terminal T. I think. Yes, um, mm-hmm. but but I mean, there are plenty of times we don't do that. I was thinking, I, I as we were coming into this today, I was wondering what in the world could we be talking about with T's? And I happened to read the word detail. Um, that's a word that we say the T very clearly in detail. We don't say mm-hmm. detail. Um, so, mm-hmm. under what circumstances do we glottalize those 
T's in the middle of the word. Do we have any idea or is that something that is still being worked out? Well, I can bore you all right now yeah. and give you some of the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, how to get the, the T. We're really talking not about necessarily only about um, glottalization. We're talking about basically the T kind of disappearing. Yeah. Whether mm. by tapping or whatever. We're talking about medial cluster reduction, as we said before. Basically, the idea is the T when it's it's a vowel. Sometimes it can be a vowel, but if it's a consonant, as an often or often before the T is preceded by what's called a fricative, which is uh, think of how you speak when you say "f," mm -hmm. or uh, you're kind of pushing the air through. Um, you're pushing the air through your uh, mouth, but kind of like with a slightly closed mouth, "puh," "fra," mm -hmm. like that. Right. And then it's afterwards is what's called a sonorant. Obviously, these are rules. These seem to be the cases where it happens. But a sonorant is like N, L, or M. So fasten is the S is a fricative. It is followed by an N sound, which is a sonorant. Whistle, mm -hmm. S is the fricative. L is a sonorant. Christmas, S is the fricative. F, S. And then M is a sonorant, M is, and then the T is silent. And this just seems to be happening. We don't know why it happens, but it does. Fowler or some, no, some other grammarians said people are lazy. And to some degree, I think it, I mean, we're not like, it's not like we're lazy in terms of doing work, but our voice patterns get sloppier. I still think part of it's fun too, with glottalization. The loss of the T, I think, is partly it's just easier to pronounce. I don't know that it's easier. I think it's just because uh, 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 to a great degree, I go back to my class angle, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But a lot of times it started out with it sounded cooler, which sounds silly. But it was like it's like in Britain, your Cockneys, it was sort of cool to be like, you know, this sort of tough Cockney guy. So you started doing it. I think the same thing in the States. I think a lot of times it's it's the perception for whatever reason, it sounds different. You're not sounding like your mom and dad. You know what I mean? But I think with often and often, though, I think it's clearly a case of um, it's oh, easier yeah. to say often. I, I think that part, I think the glottalization might be the fun part. I think the Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm be. saying. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. So we have three basic methods of losing your T. We have T glottalization. I like the post-nasal winner, winner, <laughs> and then flapping. Right, and we agreed that mm -hmm. Kathy is a flapper. I don't think any of us or are a tapper. <laughs> I think most of us were probably yeah. flappers, uh, in, yeah, in to to some degree or another. For example, Ross, um, what what do you drink that comes out of the tap? Water. Right, with a D. A flapping. Yeah, you're flapping. Yeah, water. And, and that's yeah. something. That's something that I <laughs> was roundly ridiculed for when I went to England. Uh, because they asked what I would like to drink, and I said water, and they said, "Or oh, water, have some water." It, it's like it, it's it's water. <laughs> with they were, they were very clear with that tea, and I mean, even children made fun of me, and I'm not joking about this. There were kids there, and they all laughed. <laughs> like we water. Did you remind them that we won the Revolutionary War? <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it, that's something that I, I guess at least, I don't know, maybe with that word, is very specifically American. Uh, or or maybe it's just the people I was around. But it, do, do we have that flapping so much in Britain, though? It's more, from everything I've read, I could be wrong, Americans are more prone to flapping, whereas Brits are more prone to uh, glottalization. Mm -hmm. Ross, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But that's what I had seen. Yeah, my, my impression is that, you know, quote, posh Brits pronounce their T's. 
Which reminds oh. me, Kathy, didn't you have something really interesting about uh, Prince? Was it who was it? Prince Harry. <laughs> why do we? Prince why don't Harry. You share that? I thought it was really interesting. <laughs> I have to find it now. It was fascinating. Prince Harry is uh, not a glottalize. It's, it glottalizes. <laughs> it's possibly why he's now in the United States. I don't know. Um, it's the pronouncing your T's is definitely like the posh, and they say you should do it. However, Prince Harry often uses glottal stops if you listen to him, which I did after I read the thing that said he did. So now there's a debate among British linguists. linguists is like, is Prince Harry trying to over, what's the word I'm looking for, Ross? Over assimilate and be more like, see, I too am like, like the rest of you, even though I'm a prince. Or is that just how he speaks? But I, I do think there's really no need to, to I mean, uh, contra uh, pr the prince, I don't think there's any need to really stress any of these as correct or incorrect. I had a friend, interestingly mm -hmm. enough, a brilliant guy. He um, came from a poor, kind of a lower middle class family, I think in New Bedford, Massachusetts, got a scholarship to Harvard and then became a foreign service officer. And he had he he had water he would not go water he was he was a glottalizer water and he deliberately worked at getting rid of all of those uh glottal stops in his language and it was interesting because he could almost speak two different languages with his english at one point he'd mm. go you know water another time he'd go water like a quasi brit or something <laughs> but i do think there and he perceived a stigma i don't know how true i didn't feel it would be a big deal but he did perceive a stigma when he went to school with all these rich people that they were looking down upon him for using uh, glottal stops. I, I would guess that that definitely exists if you're talking about upper class people, I, you know, and I'm not talking about middle class people or even upper middle class people. I mean, rich people. I would guess that there that that stigma is there. I mean, there there's more class consciousness, I think, than people realize. But it, it goes the other direction a little bit, too, because I'm thinking of people who who pronounce the T's when I'm not used to hearing those T's, somebody here who might say water or someone who uh, I'm thinking about if somebody said to me, that was a great movie um, instead of just that was a great, yeah. a great movie. Right. I, I would be like, OK, you know, calm, mm -hmm. calm down. Yeah, it's it's. I think that's a really good point. I think that's absolutely true. It it, it sets my teeth on edge. It's sort of like, oh, come on. <laughs> like mm -hmm. We don't talk like that. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. But um. I was I read an interesting article it was from several years ago actually it was in the Guardian about we go back again to the whole class thing with it and it was the labor leader I don't remember which one it was who was being vilified because he was like glottal stopping like a maniac and basically people were saying he was pandering he was trying so hard to sound like you know the the lower end constituents that that it was it was a negative in that way because they were hmm. saying he was he was it was it was just ludicrous so then you go hmm. back to like i guess it, it really ends up being what's natural i mean because initially in britain the the glottalization of the t was was a working class pronunciation so then if you're usually saying water to suddenly not say it i could see where it does seem like you're you're overdoing the i too can blend in but now here, I think it's a different thing. No, I don't think we have that problem. I mean, contra what, to what I was telling you about my friend, I don't think it's that big of a deal in the States, particularly because it's all over the place. And it's so spread out in terms of like how it's used. Is it the initial? Is it the middle? Is it the end? But I don't I don't think I hear glottalization as being particularly bad. I don't. I don't. Although 
I hate it when people say bottle. I'm sorry, I really cannot buy it. I never hear. I, I don't like bottle. I never ever bottle. ever 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 hear that. Really? No. Maybe it's a New York thing. I used to hear people say bottle. Yeah, no. I do bottle? too. I hear bottle a lot. Yeah. A bottle of what? You want a bottle of wine? Yeah. 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 No, I do uh, actually right now. It's, it's, it's all <laughs> yeah. it's all flapping around here. It's all bottle. Bottle. Flat. Really? Flat. 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 Oh, speak. I forgot to add one thing. You were asking about rules for um. Uh, glottalizing a word it's usually on the unstressed syllable so let's all yeah. do a little test here and let's take the word potato and let's glottalize it fletcher okay if this is not something i would naturally do i would usually flap the heck out of that word but um, <laughs> in this case i i would glottalize it as potato yes you're right yeah yeah that's the rule potato. so we have fricatives preceding bells and stress and now we know how to glottalize <laughs> yeah, yes indeed <laughs> but ross i i think by and large what you said is correct in, in that glottalization is not really a problem um and i and i think in everyday speech um that's definitely true but also people really like to police the way other people talk and mm. and and certainly let me say that we're not doing that right now here we're just we're talking about the way people talk and so we're naturally going to be uh, addressing this and you know from one angle or another but people people really really do like to criticize the way other people speak and uh, there are a lot of um let's say enthusiastic public radio listeners who very much like to do that because what they get is people speaking and public radio mm. in particular, I think works hard to uh, allow a lot of different kinds of voices onto the air. And some of them may not mm -hmm. speak the same way you do. And I remember uh, just talking about glottal stops. I remember um, uh, an excellent podcast uh, was talking about Vladimir Putin and the um, uh, someone wrote in to them just castigating them for saying Putin, as I just did. They said his name is not Putin, it's Putin. And, and you know, they were really angry that they were using this glottal stop. That's just so incredibly common to me that I wouldn't even think about writing in about something like that. But it happens, and it happens a lot. That gets into another problem, though, which I think is also problematic, a problematic problem of pronouncing foreign leaders' names. Because, I mean, if we're going to really get technical, do we, you know... Sure, sure, sure. Do sure. we pronounce... Yeah, I mean, do we pronounce it as as they do, or you know, I don't, I don't think that's that uh, that newscaster in New York years ago, remember on Channel Eleven, who would oh, always go Venezuela, that. you know, Nicaragua, you know, and it was <laughs> yeah. a little much, <laughs> it was a little frightening. Yeah, yeah and, and certainly, I was mostly I was just using that as an example of of somebody criticizing that glottal stop. Uh, it, I, you know, I I don't think that person's anger was really specifically about Vladimir Putin. I think. I think they were mad at the, <laughs> the way they were the, the the hosts were speaking by by using that glottal stop. Yeah, it's like you said, Fletcher, when you were in Britain, people like making fun of you saying water. But I mean, honestly, as you also said, saying water sounds so twee to me. I mean, it just kind of makes me like dislike you if you said water. And I don't mean it meanly because you're very nice, but <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> think I'd like it if you started saying that or kitten. You know, I don't. But regardless of of that, tea glottalization does seem to be here to stay. And if we like it or not, or if you know, we're bothered by it or not, it does appear, like Kathy was saying, it seems to be increasing in American, in general American speech, particularly in the West of the U.S. And I mean, 
I, I don't think we're going to be criticizing it for long because it keeps, seems to be increasing. The one thing that I'm mm. sort of curious about, though, is apparently as you get older, glottalization decreases. The question is, is that a function of more people when they're young are doing it or do they drop it as they get older? Just for what we were talking about, do they perceive it then as not being prestigious so they lose it? Like, like my friend did. I don't know. What about this? Do you maybe somehow lose uh, muscle capacity in the back of your That's throat? That's what I was just thinking. It's because it's harder, I Although, think. I'm going to use another language here because Egyptian, regular Arabic doesn't have, uh, uh, there's an Egyptian glottalization. It would be called a cough glottalization with a cough sound. Like mm. um, a place called Doki. Kathy should know Doki when we were little kids mm. in Egypt, mm. in Cairo. In Egyptian, uh, in Egyptian Arabic, it's pronounced do'i, and uh, now would be pronounced not walked as time in Arabic, and now as a, as a construction in Egyptian Arabic, it'd be dilwa'iti. I always loved how that sounded, dilwa'iti. But I heard like 90-year-olds saying dilwa'iti, and they were glottalizing right and left. So I'm not sure it does disappear in that sense. Or maybe they're stuck with saying it because they have to say it. They can't really change it. <laughs> they don't have another option. <laughs> yeah, I have a question for you, Rosto. You just said that as we get older, there's less glottalization. You know, that that's what they say? No, I'm saying they're not sure it's temporal or is it, in other words, did people who are 60 now grow up not glottalizing, so they're not glottalizing now. Okay, that's, that's what I was just going to say. I suspect, because I'm just thinking again of how I speak. And I am a very sloppy, as I said, I'm a gonna, coulda, woulda, I, I totally, I do not pronounce. I, I, and I'm happy with the way I speak, and I don't care if anyone dislikes it, it's how I talk. But um, I suspect that when I'm like 80, I'm going to still say gonna, coulda, shoulda, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I do. So I, I suspect it's just like, perhaps, up until now, we didn't have as much glottalization, so older people were going pretty Latin, you know, Britain button that's true but fletcher was all arguing also uh, ta uh, tapping or flapping is easy glottal stops you guys were arguing is a little more difficult i was debating that <laughs> i agree but yeah. now i'm not uh, now i don't think so uh, uh, yeah, i, I, don't really I guess i i don't think one way or the other but i'm curious about it i i'm i'm mm. curious about that you know the the use of muscles back there i mean all uh, our body breaks down as we get older and i'm just wondering if <laughs> if that you know, in, in maybe a mild way, it just gets harder to do. I don't know. I'm just curious. Although thinking about muscles, Ross, do you know about the muscles? Because to me, Latin, saying Latin is harder than saying Latin. Latin. Yeah. Latin. I think it, I, I, now I'm going to like, this is completely speculative. <laughs> and I'm sure it will yell at me. I'm wondering if partial glottalizations are easy. Like Latin. Yeah. Latin. I'm wondering if like button or horton or like a full... <laughs> It's hard. So maybe that <laughs> go goes away. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. And that leads me to something. Maybe we should conclude on this too, because I'm wondering if we should talk about it. I'm wondering about, because, uh, you know, vocal fries or creaky voice, you know mm -hmm. what that is, don't you mm -hmm. guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I, that's involving the glottis and it, I can't even do it, but I'm wondering if that, that apparently doesn't seem to be as common. I mean, obviously it's super common amongst younger people, but I'm wondering, does that disappear because it's harder and harder to like, kind of do that with your glottis i don't know i don't know because i would think again we go back to that or is it that older people don't do it because they didn't and like now we we're having this whole generation of people who spoke like that and you're gonna have 80 year olds like with vocal fry that seems weird to me <laughs> i don't know i kind of like it i like uh, this concept i, I also, <laughs> I also mm, 
I want to let you know that you probably almost certainly do it sometimes because most people who think they don't do it or have no idea you know, oh, who, yeah. who can't do it, um, do it and just don't realize it. This is Vocal Fry? Yeah, and, and we're getting a little bit off track because Vocal Fry is a little bit of a different thing from from yeah. what we've been talking about but from teas <laughs> yeah it's also getting otherwise. but fletcher could you do me a favor and next time in one of these talks when you hear either myself or kathy using vocal fry can you shout it out yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod. Email them at kandrpetrus at gmail.com or email me at powell at kmuw.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help us. They're how we get more people to find us. Kathy and Ross's book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that and much of their other work pretty much anywhere you get books. We recommend your local independent bookstore. And, of course, Kathy and Ross are always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. <laughs>